Well, good morning, church. Well, I just want to thank uh, Katie and the orchestra and the choir. That was just beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So my name's Phil Shields. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. And if this is your first week here, I just want to welcome you. I'm so glad that you chose to worship with us this morning. I hope that you find that Wheaton Bible Church is a great place for you to ask questions, to get to know what's happening around here, and we really would treasure the time to get to know you uh, out at Connect Central after this service. We have some people there that can answer questions for you, but I'm just so glad that you're with us. We are in our seventh and last week of a series called Explore God, where we are dealing with uh, some big questions and questions about faith. And so we are going to be jumping into that. Um, but before we do, I just want to invite you to pray with me. Uh, we want to be lifting up our, uh, one of our pastors, Lon Allison. Uh, Lon has had a little bit of a, a setback and uh, has been cared for really amazingly over at CDH. Uh, but just has been dealing with some pain. And so uh, with that, we just want to pray for him. And uh, you can go to his CaringBridge site and get some information there. But I want to invite you, would you just pray with me right now? Father, I lift up my friend, uh, Pastor Lon. I just ask that you would bring peace today. Bring, bring peace to his body, bring peace to his family. I thank you for he and Marie and the ministry they continue to have. And Lord, as we sit here, I can imagine that Lon is talking about you quite a bit. Quite a bit to those that are walking into his room and caring for him. And it's because he sees you as the risen Savior. And because of that, Lord, we praise you. So I pray that you would bring relief. And we thank you that Pastor Lon belongs to you. And that you are in control of everything that happens. And so we lift him up. And as a, a community, as a family here, uh, we give him to you. And we pray for wisdom in the days to come. In your name I pray. Amen. Well, over the last uh, seven weeks, we have tackled these uh, common but hard questions. And I'm hoping that you have been here with us over those weeks, and maybe you had to miss some of those times, uh, but I hope that you have been finding some answers to questions. And if you're going, well, I have known Jesus for many, many years, I hope that these questions that we've been dealing with have been pushing you further and further in your faith. We have been dealing with questions like, do we have purpose? Does God exist? How do we handle pain and suffering in this world? We've been looking at, is Jesus God? Is Christianity too narrow? And last week, we were looking at the subject, if the Bible is reliable. And so maybe you've heard these questions or you've looked at them, and you're coming in here and thinking to yourself, well, what is the next step? What's the next step after all these, uh, these questions that we've asked? And so no matter where you are in your faith journey, my prayer for you and for us together 
is that you would be reflecting on what that next step is and that today's question, this question of can I know God personally, would be something that you would deal with and look at and, and really have your eyes open to that. I've been praying for, for all of us, for those of you that are really wondering about a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I've been praying for those of you that have been in a relationship with Jesus Christ for many years, but life is hard right now. Because this question of a personal relationship is a, is a tough question to look at. But because of the prayers I've been praying and the answering of these questions, I want to get a little personal with you this morning. See, I want to tell you that whenever I deal with this question this morning, that I look back on the year 2018, and it was a miserable year for me. See, it was a a year, and I don't want to go into great detail, but it was one that I had struggles as personally as a son with my own uh, family. I've had struggles as a husband. I've had struggles as a father, and it took me to some really dark places, some valleys that I wasn't sure what was going to be happening. My wife would tell you that my famous phrase for 2018 was, I didn't ask for this. And I didn't. But to be totally honest with you, I believe in God. I believe that you can have a relationship with him. And yet, I say that, and I look at this, and even though the, the months were extremely hard. My life group knew the details that were going on. I would share that with them, and they would uh, pray with my wife and I. We would try to tackle these things, but I got to tell you, even in the midst of sharing all that with them, I was struggling. In fact, I handled it because I thought that there were times that if I just ignored the situations that were coming, it would go away. Or I would end up uh, looking at this and going, okay, despair and frustration and disappointment were con- uh, constants, and so I would want to disengage from what things were taking place. Eventually, it led to me thinking, if I could just work harder, if I could work harder on the things that are happening, it would get better. And I would imagine that there's some of us in this room that we have been looking at life and we have been saying, if I could just work harder, if I disengage at this time and re-engage at another time, that things will get better. And I would imagine that for some of you in this room that you would be going, I'm tired and it's not working. See, I, I tell you this because even though some of the things that I was doing weren't all bad, the bottom line was that in 2018, God seemed very distant from me. I felt very alone and and that he wasn't personal, and I questioned, and I was like this two-year-old that always asked the question, why? Over and over and over again. And I believe that the reason some of my actions went the way that they went is because of the culture that we live in. 
that we can get sucked into this culture and this mindset that if we ignore or if we end up trying to engage by working harder, that it becomes very dangerous in how we view God. And so when we look at this, when we think that we can solve the issues in our life by doing things better, I got to tell you, you aren't going to make it. So maybe you've lived some of these similar patterns, and, and we look at this American virtue of working harder and trying to be the good person. And as we look at Scripture today, we're going to see that that is not the path that we should be going down. So I stand before you this morning, and if you're in that place, this message is for you, but I am speaking that message into my life. I'm speaking it saying, Lord, have your way. And I believe that you can have a personal relationship with God. But it doesn't come by working harder or ignoring situations. It comes by digging deeper into who Jesus Christ is. And so in answering this last question in our series, I believe that there is a principle that all of us need to remember. Or maybe this is the first time that you've ever considered it. And here's the principle. It's that to know God intimately, we must move from questions about Jesus to embracing the identity and the power of Jesus. We have to embrace the identity and the power of Jesus if we're going to understand what it means to know God personally. So I want to invite you to grab a Bible and open it to Philippians 3. We're going to jump into a text here that's written by a a man named Paul. And in Philippians 3, we're going to be looking at verses 7 through 14. So if you have a Bible on your phone, you can turn on there. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one in the seats in front of you, and you can look in the table of contents. The book of Philippians is in the New Testament, and so it's kind of in the second half of the Bible, and you can find it there. Before we read this, I want you to understand some things about who wrote this letter. See, this this man named Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote it. And really, when you see the word apostle, what that really means is that it's somebody on mission or it's somebody that had uh, the authoritative power to preach about Jesus, to preach about what's called the gospel. And so what you have to understand is this wasn't somebody that grew up in a nice uh, little home and it was picture perfect for his life. What you have to understand is the background of Paul. See, Paul was one of the leading people who was persecuting other human beings, other Christians. In fact, he was so passionate about it that in Acts 8, Uh, what we find is that he was beginning, the words that are used there are that he was destroying the church. See, if we heard this on a newscast that somebody was destroying something, we would imagine that he would be arrested, that this is somebody you wouldn't want to be around. And so Paul is doing this. And what's fascinating is that it wasn't that he was ignoring God. He was one of the Jewish religious leaders See, he grew up in a family, and he was educated as a Pharisee. And so he was somebody that that saw the law of God as beautiful, 
but also something that should be followed very closely. And so Jesus was somebody that kind of threw everything into a tailspin for it. And so he ended up, uh, as this religious leader, he was going against the early Christians. In Acts 9, we find this transformational event where he's on this road and he's walking and this light shines. And what's amazing is that he is the only one in his group that can see this. And this voice ends up talking to him and says, why do you persecute me? And Paul answers by, who are you, Lord? He's blown away by what's happening. And what he ends up hearing is these words, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. So he has fallen on the ground. He has been turned, uh, his eyes have become blind. And the people he's traveling with don't have a clue what just took place because they didn't hear any of that. So he's led in, and God allows another Christian, a follower of Jesus, to come to him and to end up healing his sight, and he gets his sight back. And on that journey, Paul comes in contact with Jesus Christ. He experiences him, and he radically changes. Now, I tell you this because I want you to know that the person that's writing the letter that we're going to read is one that was harming other humans. This is, this is somebody that we would not consider uh, a person that we would want to be around. And the reason I want you to see that is because if you are sitting here today going, well, you just don't understand my past, then I, I want you to read Paul. Because he was, he was guilty of putting people in prison and dying there. He was guilty of people getting beaten for what they were believing. But see, he moved from questions about Jesus to embracing the identity and power of Jesus. And it changed his life. See, everyone's story is totally different. All of our stories here are different, but the Bible tells us a story that is so beautiful, and throughout the scriptures, we end up seeing that we can have this relationship with God. In fact, in John 1:12, it says this, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, Jesus is what this is talking about, he gave the right to become children of God. Then further in, in the New Testament, in James 4, 8, it says, come near to God and he will come near to you. See, when we read these texts and we look at these texts compared to our question of can I know God personally, what we find is the Bible is telling us, and this is just two verses of many, that you can. To come near means that you are coming into a relationship. That you can know someone personally. In fact, in, in Revelation 3.20, at the end of the Bible, it's, uh, Jesus ends up saying, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. So I want you to know, you can know God personally. And I believe that he is calling us to remember that or to meet him for the first time today. And so then we get to the book of Philippians. 
And so I give you that background, and I want you to see what we find in Philippians 3, starting at verse 7. The Apostle Paul writes this, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So we read this section and Paul is really addressing the question of can I know God personally? Now I want you to remember the principle. To know God personally is embracing the identity and the power of Jesus. It's embracing the identity and power of Jesus. So how do we do that? Well, I believe Paul tells us this in these short verses. And the first thing that I want you to see is that if we are going to know God personally, to embrace the person and power of Jesus, you embrace the beauty of God's value system over the value system of the world. You embrace the beauty of God's value system over the world's value system. So in verses 7 through 9, we see Paul using this accounting language. He uses these words of gain and loss like it's a financial thing. And so what he's doing is he's looking back to his life before he met Jesus and what was happening there. He was doing what he thought was right. He was living in ways and and actions and taking action to do good things. But God's value system has to do with righteousness and grace and love. And what Paul was doing was he was basing his value system off works and holding up a law that only pointed out that we were not perfect. And so he was pursuing this. He was trying in many ways to earn favor with God. He was trying to earn favor with, uh, with all of his Jewish background and from the people around him. And he wasn't understanding that God came in the form of Jesus so that we could have a personal relationship with God. See, the, the problem was that humanity back then and now believes in self-improvement. That's why whenever you look at the bestseller list that you are going to find self-improvement books at the top of the list. We live in a culture where we believe that the self-improvement leads to good. But what we have to understand is that self-improvement doesn't lead to heaven. 
What leads to heaven is a personal relationship with God and allowing Jesus and his righteousness to be in your life. And so Paul is addressing that thinking whenever we look at these verses. He's addressing what's taking up and what our pursuits should be. Then in verse 8, Paul says something there. Take a look. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So he is understanding that what he was pursuing in his past ends up being nothing. It wasn't adding up because he, now what he sees is that the incredible wealth in life is knowing Jesus. So let me ask you something. If you look at what you value, what is at the top of the list? See, for all of us, we have to answer that question, whether we believe that we have a personal relationship with God or not, because the value system in our life is going to be vitally important to what we believe and what we live out. And so Paul's telling us that nothing we do is worth as much as just knowing Jesus, knowing him. So whatever good comes from your self-improvement projects that you have in your life, the things, the habits that you're trying to create, that doesn't earn you the grace of God. And without the grace of God, you cannot know him personally. And in order to know him personally, you have to know Jesus who pours out righteousness on those who trust in him. So when we look at this, you can look great. Here's the deal. For many of us, we came in today, and I'm not going to ask for a showing of hands, but I would imagine that there were some vehicles where there was an argument taking place. But you look really good right now. See, we can look great. We can sound great. We can put, act great. We can put all that together. But if we don't know Jesus, it doesn't gain us anything. It doesn't gain us anything. And the reason is because none of it even approaches the perfect holiness of Jesus Christ. None of it. I have a, one of my favorite shows on television is probably on the worst channel ever, CNBC. I don't know anything about financial systems, okay? But I can turn on CNBC because there is a show called The Prophet. I, uh, I fell in love with this show a couple years ago, and the guy that's on it, his name is Marcus Limonis. He's, uh, he owns several businesses in our area, but he goes around the nation looking for businesses that he can pour his money into to revive and to help people uh, create jobs and, and to take their product to a new level. But what you often find is that Marcus goes into a business and he starts talking to them to understand their backstory. And what is often told in that backstory is this struggle of people working extremely hard with a really great product to put it out there and to become successful. So he falls in love with their story and he hears it and then he asks, can I see the financials? And so he starts sitting down and he starts circling things and talking to them. And what is often found is that there is great passion in these people and they've poured a lot of money in. But there are times that they have had one year where there were some gains and other years there were losses. And what he ends up finding is that even though the product is good, 
it doesn't necessarily mean that the people are gaining anything. Here's the deal. When we look at our lives, we are the same way when it comes to a business that Marcus Lemonis invests in. There are times that we can be acting good and doing good things and then the next year it can be harder and it could be some losses and you might be working hard but you can do all of that and there might be a good product. But without knowing Jesus, you aren't going to be successful. See, this is where we have to remember that we have to look and go, okay, how am I going to know God more intimately? How am I going to move from those questions to embracing Jesus? And the first thing that, that we have to understand is that we embrace the beauty of God's value system over the world's value system because God's value system is based on the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And my prayer is, is that you start seeing that value system as the most important thing in your life. But Paul goes on. And the second thing that we have to understand is that if we're going to embrace the identity and power of Jesus, you have to embrace Jesus' righteousness. His righteousness. And we see this in verses 9 through 11 in our text. What we end up seeing in verse 9, it says, And be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. So everything is based off of a faith. That righteousness will come if there is a faith. Now, righteous, what you have to understand when that word is there, is that it normally means the straight or right way. Righteous can often be put with moral living. But when we look at the righteousness of Jesus Christ, what we have to understand is that it is a living or an acting in the right way because of the standard of heaven and who is king in heaven. And so when we start looking at what righteousness is all about, we have to then look at Jesus' life and say, well, how was he righteous? It's because he was perfect without sin. And he came on behalf of God to connect you with our Heavenly Father. That was his purpose. So if we believe that God created all things, if you've been through all these questions and you go, okay, I'm willing to say that God created all things, you've got to understand that he created Paul. So he created the writer of this book, of this letter, and he created him with great zeal and passion. And what ended up happening is that zeal and passion that he was created with was used to battle against God for many, many years. But when he was confronted with Jesus Christ and saw Jesus on the, on the road and was, was experiencing him, all of a sudden, that same thing that he was born with, the same thing that he was created with, was radically transformed. And that zeal and passion was lived to make sure that he was preaching Jesus he ended up realizing that all the things that he was doing before didn't add up and that he was not righteous. And so he ends up meeting Jesus and that changes him. See, the person who sees Jesus for who he is, the Son of God, if you're willing to look at that, that ends up seeing that the best of our best without Jesus doesn't matter and that we can gain no righteousness without him. 
See, the, the old Paul, his goal was lost. His goal was lost on himself. But then when he experienced Jesus, the, the new goal of becoming more and more like Christ means that he has to know Jesus and he has to embrace that Jesus' righteousness and the work on the cross is then poured out on him. See, being covered with the righteousness of Jesus means that God will end up seeing that in you. And we have to understand that you can, if you live well past 100, you won't even make a dent on knowing the fullness of who Jesus Christ is. So to experience all of his righteousness, Paul ends up saying, embrace it and start soaking it in. Start understanding what it's all about. See, Paul understood that embracing that meant that on the final day, on a day of judgment, he would no longer be clinging to his works and the things that he was doing. He was clinging to Jesus and his righteousness and that God would see Jesus in him. And my prayer is, is that you will be seen the same way. See, in, in verse 9, we understand that the only way that righteousness is in our life is through faith in the Son of God. And so my question is, is, is that where you're putting your faith? Is that where you're putting your life? Not in works, but in trusting who Jesus is and what he is doing. And I just want to plead with you to embrace Jesus' righteousness so that he can work out a new way of life in you. But then Paul goes on. And the third thing he does is in verses 12 through 14, he ends up sharing that to embrace the identity and the power of Jesus, you embrace Jesus, not just the facts about Jesus. You embrace Jesus, the person of who Jesus is. See, embracing means pursuing it means, it means pursuing who he is. And if that isn't in relationships, you're going to have stale relationships. We embrace one another. And so however much you embrace means how deep that relationship is going to go. And if you embrace it less, it's going to be a lighter relationship. See, Paul knew God personally. He's talking about that in these verses, that he knows God personally because he became a Christian on that road. And on that day, he was adopted as a child of God once and for all. Nothing could take that away from him. And so he's molded then as he's pursuing Jesus, he's molded in that image. And what's beautiful is that Paul ends up saying that I am not perfect. I haven't attained that perfection yet. But because of the grace of Jesus and the work on the cross, I'm going to pursue him more and more and more. Not because it's going to gain me anything except knowing Jesus better. Because that's of ultimate value. See, relationships don't grow just on facts. You can have all the facts on Jesus, but it's not going to grow. In fact, if we base our relationships on facts, your relationships are going to be boring. See, I think of my wife. If my relationship with my wife, Angie, was based on facts, that would be a stale marriage. 
Sure, there's a lot of facts pre-me. Where she was born, how many siblings she has, the things she experienced, they're all facts. But then when she met me, it meant that we were going to have to embrace one another and that those facts are just that. But now I had to dig deep into who Angie is. And she did the same with me. And because of that, our relationship grew. Now, as a typical male, I have a long way to go in understanding who my wife is. But I have to dig deeper. I have to continue to pursue that. I have to date my wife to pursue who she is and how God has created her. The same thing is true with Jesus. You can read this book and take in all the facts. You can ask all the questions that we've asked over the past seven weeks and say, I know it all. But until you dig deep into knowing who Jesus is and embracing him as the son of God, you're living off just facts. And so there will be no relationship there. That's why Paul says the ultimate value is knowing Jesus. And so he ends up using this, these athletic terms of pressing on and straining forward and, and doing all this. Now remember, if you didn't know this, he's saying this in the midst of being persecuted himself. He's been beaten, he's been shipwrecked, and he's saying, I'm not going to let that stop me. I'm pressing on because I realize that knowing Jesus is the most valuable thing in the world. It's because he recognizes that his brokenness is in desperate need of a Savior who isn't broken. And so Jesus fills that void. And so Paul tells us that he still needs to grow, he still has needs, and that he's got to continue following Jesus. There's a quote that I was reading by uh, pastor and author Matt Chandler. I want you to see what he has to say uh, on this set of scriptures. He says, the broken in Christ must keep pursuing Christ so that Christ's power will break more and more areas of bondage in their lives. Going after this merely through behavior modification simply won't work. How do you beat sin? We beat sin only by pressing into Jesus, knowing him and chasing him. There is grace upon grace to be had in him. So much grace, you can't use it all up. If we broken people will come to Christ in faith, we will receive an infinite supply of grace. This is why we pursue Christ above all, because he is more than enough. He will always be enough. See, when, when we're looking at this and when we're looking at our life, I want to ask you, when you read what Paul says, do you see that Jesus is enough and that the other things that you might be pursuing to fill the voids in your life are never going to add up to the value of the beauty of Jesus? And if you see that Jesus is the ultimate, the ultimate peace in the value system of life, then what you can understand then is that you can know God personally. You can know him personally. See, I, I don't know if, 
uh, you do this at the holidays, but one of the most favorite things that we do around Christmas time is that we watch the movie Elf. It's not a spiritual movie. But there's this scene where, where he is, uh, Will Ferrell's character is in, but Buddy the Elf is in this store, and Santa comes out, and all of a sudden you see all the joy on his face, and he screams, I know him! Is that your joy? I mean, can you yell with all the passion and the love and the excitement that I know him. I know him. And because I know Jesus, I can have a relationship with God personally. If your answer is no, then I want to ask you, is God calling you today to start a relationship with him? And if you already have a relationship with him, are you getting sidetracked and trying to do some other things? Or are you sitting there going, oh my goodness, I need Jesus more. I need to know him more. I need need to dive into this. I need to reread the Gospels and fall more in love with Jesus and see who he is. Then I would ask that you would take some action today. And that's my prayer for your life. So I want to remind you that 2018 was hard for me. And my mistake was thinking that I could work harder to bring healing instead of diving deeper into the intimacy and seeing and embracing the identity and the power of Jesus in all seasons of life. So if you're tired today, Embrace Jesus. If you're not tired today, you eventually will be. Embrace Jesus. Because that is going to mean that you will know God personally. So I want to ask you to bow your heads with me. If today is a day that you're going, I've asked all the questions, and now I need to take the next step I want to ask you if you would just give your life over to God. And to start that relationship, you can just repeat these words after me and just praying out to God and declaring to him, just say, dear God, thank you for loving me, for sending your son to die for my sins. I want to turn away from my sinful life and I want to embrace Jesus as my personal Savior. And now as your child, I turn my entire life over to you. And for those of us that are loving Jesus but we're getting sidetracked, I just want to ask that you would just surrender your season of life to him. And so God, we give you the things that are taking place in our life. We want to we intimately know you. We want to embrace you. We want to embrace your value system. We want to embrace your righteousness. We want to embrace your son, Jesus Christ. So have your way. It's your name I pray. Amen.